It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the community radio network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au. And don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm joined today by my co-hosts Kay Wenigal and Mike Standall. Hi Kay. Hello. Hi Mike. Hi, hi, Nat, and hi, listeners. David Blowers is an energy fellow with the Grattan Institute. Along with his colleague, Tony Wood, David recently repo- released a report into the electricity retail market in Victoria. The report's titled Price Shock, Is the Retail Electricity Market Failing Consumers? We're lucky to have David in the studio with us this morning. Hello, David, and welcome to the show. Hello, and thanks for having me. David, can you start by giving us a brief history of the privatisation of the electricity sector? I know that's a, <laughs> that's a long question, but well, give us a bit of an overview to set the background for us. Well, I'll, I'll start off um, with the national picture. And back in the early 90s, the Prime Minister, Paul Keating, decided that there could be significant savings made across the economy if we looked at our competition policy. And the result of that was a a thing called the Hilmer Review, which suggested changes in a number of industries, including electricity. And basically what it did was it recommended that those parts of the market where they felt private players could come in and play a role, which was basically the generation markets and the retail markets, should be opened up to that sort of competition. Uh, Now, what happened over the next decade or so is gradually governments sold off Uh, all parts of their electricity supply chain, so their generators, their retail business and their distribution companies, and then those organisations provided those services as private entities. Um, Then back in, like, let's take Victoria, for example, Uh, back in 2002, they decided to allow competition in the market. So previously in Victoria, Victoria was split into five areas and each area had a company that ran its retail business, so provided electricity to to consumers. And then in 2002, they said, well, any company, any retail company can come in and provide that service. Uh, So all of a sudden, you got a range of options to be able to choose who to get your electricity from. Uh, in Victoria, but the government still maintained a role, and what it did was effectively put a ceiling on the amount electricity companies could charge you and me for our electricity. Uh, and this was called, they said, what was known as a standing offer. And that ceiling remained in place. So anyone could make an offer under these circumstances, but everyone had to offer this standard offer to everyone. 
Now, in 2009, what the Victorian government then went and did and said, right, we don't need to do that anymore. We think that the market will take care of itself and anyone can set the prices that they like. And so they removed the need for government to set that standing offer. And so all of a sudden, prices are now entirely set by private players in the market. And what we've seen over the last 10-year period is that the price of our electricity has shot up somewhat. I will say for for other uh, for other states, they've been a lot slower than Victoria. So whilst most people introduced this idea of contestability, the fact that other uh, retailers could come in and make electricity offers, uh, most of them kept that price cap on. So South Australia only lifted theirs in 2013. New South Wales lifted theirs in 2015, although they've still have a small bit of control whilst they're transitioning, but that should have ended now. And southeast Queensland, uh, they removed the need to set that ceiling uh, only in July last year. So Victoria is quite a way ahead of the other states. So in terms of privatisation then, that's caused an increase in prices, essentially, you're saying? I, I think what is important to understand is that the price that we pay for electricity is driven by a number of factors. What has happened in Victoria, when I say prices have gone up, prices have kept going up at the same level as they have had in other states. But there are reasons why prices have been rising in other states. Both New South Wales and Queensland have had uh, very, very high cost to putting in extra poles and wires and that's really added to the cost that people in New South Wales and Queensland pay for their electricity. In South Australia, you know, by and large, they've always had very high costs to generate electricity, partially because they're a small state and there's not a lot of competition there for, for generation. So they've always had reasonably high uh, wholesale prices. Um, I know high wholesale prices in South Australia have been in the news, but this is not actually that unusual that uh, South Australia should experience that. Um, Whereas Victoria have had neither of these problems, and yet the prices have increased. Now, that doesn't say, mean that the privatisation hasn't worked. It, it's delivered, and you can see, it's delivered considerable benefits in the generation market in Victoria, and prices in that generation market have kept really low. Uh, Victoria has the lowest uh, wholesale prices uh, in all of Australia, pretty much for the last 10 years, bar one or two years. Um, but in retail, it hasn't delivered the benefits that you'd expect. You'd expect the privatisation and competition to lower the cost of doing business, and that reduction in costs should feed through into lower prices for consumers, and we just haven't seen that. Can you give us a bit of a breakdown of what an electricity bill looks like in terms of wholesale and retail pricing? Yeah, yeah sure. So let's have a look. At, it differs from state to state. So let's you, do Victoria let's, first. Let's then. do Victoria first. So, like as I said, lots and lots of components. So your wholesale component, uh, you know, depending on what kind of offer you're on, actually has been really low for the last ten years. It's probably been only around twenty to twenty-five percent of your total bill. So it's pretty pretty low. Your network component is going to be considerably larger, and again, depending on your bill, about thirty to forty percent of your bill is going to be 
the the network component and then you've got another number of quite small issues you've got to remember smart meters came in that was an extra hundred dollars plus a year for people's bills that's that's a considerable amount and so that was like six or seven percent and then you've got the price of green schemes and again that amounts to about six percent so your feed-in tariffs your victorian energy efficiency target scheme that's about you know six percent so it's a bit you know green schemes have cost but not that much carbon price again seven or eight percent when it was in place so not a lot and then in, the rec- in both cases much less than they've been blamed for yeah the far 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 less than than you know to argue that the big price increases that we've seen have been down to green schemes is is a is a little bit untrue because yes of course they have added to the cost but we have seen far bigger increases in prices than that uh, if you if you think just in terms of the dollar in your pocket you are now paying twice as much for your electricity as you were 10 years ago and in real terms that's about 70 percent. but that's a big increase and you can't put it down to just those schemes that have uh, been and the carbon price has now is now, now no longer. Yeah, but we didn't get the ten percent or eight percent decrease in cost. Uh, prices have come down a little bit, but not by that much. Yeah, it's been by about one point two, one or two percent since the carbon tax took out. You've seen prices reduced by about one or two percent. It's not. It's not been by the same level. Um, you've got to understand that obviously other. Factors in that mix will have increased at the same time, so you're not necessarily going to see the, the see-through in the bill. But the, the bottom line is, okay, when you add all that stuff up, you're still only reaching to 60%, 70% of your bill, which is made up of all these components, and the rest of it goes to your retailer. So so what are the retailers doing for, for that money? Like, what is their role in the whole process? Right. The really simplistic way to describe a retailer is is that they're a glorified biller, and I think lots of people do describe it that. That's a bit simplistic, and, and it's probably unfair to a retailer that all they do is they sit there every month, they collect the money in, and then they, you know, you're paying thirty percent of your bill for four pieces of paper every single year. Um, that's a bit simplistic. That's not it. That's not it. I mean, they they do provide a broader function. So so first of all, um, retailers exist so we only get one bill. Like there are multiple companies working in the electricity sector and if you got a bill from every single one of those, you'd be pretty annoyed. So what they do is they take all those costs on themselves and they provide you one bill with one rate that you pay for electricity. And that's really a good thing for consumers. The second thing they do is that they are a almost the first point of call for the electricity sector. If something goes wrong, none of us sit there and call up our distribution business or the generator that's doing it. I mean, some of us might call the government, but generally we go to the retailer. So despite the fact that they actually don't have much control over these other things, they are generally that first point of call that they will ring you and say, right, we can see there's a problem, you need to contact your distributor or whatever. And that again is an important function. They provide those social uh benefits in terms of if you're having trouble paying your bill we'll do this so there's a there's a big customer service aspect the third aspect beyond billing which i think doesn't get a lot of mention is hedging is the hedging Mm -hmm. and we've got to we've got to take into account hedging hedging is you know important for me and you because 
I don't want to be paid. You know, let's let's go back to South. So Aust- let's explain what that. Means. Let's explain what that. Let's go back to South Australia last year when everyone got really upset because wholesale prices were going up to fourteen thousand dollars a megawatt hour. You, you consider that the normal price for electricity is fifty dollars a megawatt hour. Like that's a big amount of money, and everyone going, "Oh, you're going to pay so much." Well, no, we don't. We don't pay that amount because retailers hedge. Mm. And the, effectively, what a hedge is an insurance strategy, and they're managing the risk that there is massive price fluctuations in generating, and they're flattening that risk out, making sure we just play a single cheap price. So even though the the market went up to fourteen thousand dollars, most retailers will have protected against that, and actually, all that they're ending up paying for it, and therefore we're ending up paying for that fourteen thousand dollars, is three hundred dollars. And that's the way the market works. So they have to go through a, a really quite complex set of strategies to minimise the risk to their portfolio. Because at the end of the day, you and me do not want a bill. Like if you're in South Australia, you do not want a bill that shows that $14,000 amount coming through in July last year. You just don't want it. So that's a really important function. And that, that costs money to do that. And in your report, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you you try to place a value on that, and you come up with something like $15 a megawatt hour, which um, I think in kilowatt hours is 1.5 cents. Yeah. Now, most of us would be on something between 15 and 30 cents, so that's um, between 10 and 5% of the bill is the cost of that hedging. Is that fair to say? Uh, according to our best estimates, this is a very, very opaque area, which we... It's very difficult they, to get They don't want on. to tell you what they're being. Well, no, they don't... I, and they don't think about it like that. You've got to remember a lot of these businesses have both generation, have generation assets as well. And because they own the generation, their need to hedge is different and change. They don't think about it as the amount they pay, per. they balance a portfolio of options and things like that. And then we all get lost as to what that exactly means. So we've chosen $15 because it's what's been used in other studies before and it seems to be around about right, but we actually don't know. So it could well be that we've underestimated that. Although let's let's be honest about hedging again hedging is just protecting against price spikes in the market if you were if you had deep enough pockets and were just exposed to the market all the time actually it would be cheaper for you mm-hmm. because you're not paying a premium to protect yourself but you are then subject to in a single month having to pay out a very large sum of money which most people don't want to just, do just quickly on that topic if you're a gentailer do you actually have a conflict of interest where part of you wants that price spike um, not really. Uh, I think that it kind of evens. It's part of you wants that price spike. Um, well, the generation. Well, I think generator generation generators obviously do want that price spike, yes. but it's not driven by the fact that they're they're gentiles. Generators in general just want that yes, price spike. Yes, but the, if you're a gentile, you've got the generation part of your business, and that part of the business wants that price spike. I'm thinking. Well, that that's right, and it's the retail business's job to make sure it's hedged against those price spikes, and there will be unhedged portions. Most. Like 80% of the electricity that's sold on the wholesale market is covered by these contracts. So it's protected for that. So it's only a 20% of the market there is. Generators want high prices. Of course they do because they want to maximise their profits. And high prices aren't on the wholesale market are not necessarily a bad thing. High prices on the wholesale market should give a signal to people that we need to build more generation and should result in people going out and building more generation. Um, we're not seeing it that 
for the moment for a number of reasons, which is slightly off topic. Yeah. But, um, you know, people, of course, they want price spikes, but uh, I don't think it really conflicts with their retail business. For those of, the, of you that have just joined us, this is the BZE Climate Solutions Show, and we're talking to David Bowers about the essentially the retailers in the Australian energy market, along with a bit of wholesale and network <laughs> information. David, um, one of the things you mentioned in your report was that the profits that the retailers are making is around 13%. Is that correct? Is, and is that it's high? Or? Half, was it? It's, it's 13%. Yeah. Um, it's... Well, that's that's correct in terms. That's what we've got in our report, and that's the best data that we've got available that 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 we can show. And it is high. Uh, it's uh, if you consider what a regulated return. So when people, when governments used to set the prices for these businesses, uh, they allowed a return and amount of profit, and it was generally about five percent. And uh, so when you compare 13% to 5%, that's quite a lot. If you look at other retail businesses, they're at around 5%. So yes, 13% is, is pretty high. So it's a good business to be in. It is a good business. I'm, I'm going to put the caveat here is that the only people who genuinely know how much profit the retailers are making are the retailers. And we currently don't know exactly what it is. And we've put that caveat in. We went and asked the retailers for the information. We didn't get sufficient information back to be able to make I guess so we use the best information that we've got available the other thing I will say is it it is not all retailers there are some retailers in particular who will not be earning anything near that amount of profit will be more the five percent and some case even lower so how many retailers are we talking about oh there's there's for for residential customers there's somewhere just over 20 retailers available for you and some more that just do business customers as well this is in victoria this is in victoria uh you've got slightly less in other states because competition isn't quite so big but you've got quite a number of retailers and they range for for your really big guys the guys that that effectively existed to begin with, which is uh, your AGL's Origin and uh, Energy Australia, which was something else beforehand, and some small guys that have recently come into the market. So you're looking at people like PowerShop and uh, I think Dodo and people like that. So given that you know this competition has proliferated, um, why do you think it is that we're not seeing a relative drop in prices? Or, or those margins. Why? What, well, the what, margins, the margins, what, what, why do you think the margins are still remaining? I mean, the reason I hesitated is that you can get a really good deal. You can get a really good deal where it looks like the retailer is earning next to nothing on the profit. How do I do that? But you've got to shop around. <laughs> right. And the reason that they're earning such large margins is there's such a large amount of inertia in the market. And so what there are is there's a proliferation of prices between, you know, really cheap and really expensive. And it's you know, it can range in the hundreds of dollars for a bill. If you're in a bad, bad deal, an average household could save about three to four hundred dollars just by switching to the best offer in the market. So you've got this really wide range that's there. The trouble is most people don't switch electricity retail all that often. And what happens is the good deals generally end. Uh, you go onto a really good deal. You stay on it for maybe a year, two years, and when that ends, if you don't actively go and switch, they just switch you back to a different deal, which might be a really bad deal. So what you've got in in Victoria, for example, is 50% of Victorians haven't changed their electricity retailer in five years. The likely, 50%? 50%. That's a lot. Over 50%. Wow. And 
if you consider that now most contracts being offered are only for a year. Mm. So once you don't, if you don't change after that year, you're probably not on the best deal for you. And the retailers effectively rely on the inertia of customers to make that sort of money. And so that's the real, that is the crux as to why we're not seeing the results in the market that we expected to see is because there are a large number of people who are not engaged in the market and the way in which it is, is um, the way in which the retailers operate mean that unless you are actively engaged and pretty much every year turn around and look to see whether you can get a better deal or you're on the right deal, you're just going to be giving money straight to the retailer. But it's really confusing actually trying to work out what the best deal is. Yes, it is. It is. Some people have described this market as a confusopoly. <laughs> and it really is very confusing. So let's take an example about how retailers market and they sit there and they go, right, you can save 30% off your electricity bill. Now, you and me would probably presume that would be 30% off the amount I'm paying now. So now for me, my recent electricity bill was $250. I can save 30% off that. That's brilliant. I'm only going to be paying $175. No. No, that's not the way it works. It's 30% off the rates that they are offering, and those rates are normally very high. So I could switch to that and end up paying potentially more than I'm currently paying for my electricity. And it might be just the variable component, and not the fixed component. Exactly. Yes. So, so it's very confusing with people. And the fact that we just look at the way in which it is marketed is that we tend to compare discounts rather than compare a price mm. means that that becomes really confusing. And you've got to remember the way electricity priced as well. It, you've got two components. Like there's not much else out there that you know, like I don't go and buy a, a, a bottle of milk and, you know, I pay this for the bottle and this for the milk content. And that's, mm -hmm. I now I have to work out exactly what I need, what size bottle. No, it doesn't work like that, but that's confusing for people. How much electricity, how many people know how much electricity they use a year? Like, I, I don't think that there are that many people who are, like, there are some really engaged people, but most people don't know because they only find out how much they use and how much they're going to pay three months, up to three months after they've actually used it. So it's really difficult. It, it can be really confusing. And at the end of the day, people, people either don't care or they find it confusing or they give up. I suspect, David, our listeners are one of the more engaged yeah. ones. Um, you mentioned um, the aspects of uh, of competition, where normally we would expect that to decrease costs, but there are aspects here where the competition hasn't decreased costs. Um, just briefly, what are those? So, uh, really briefly, there are there are two things. Obviously, obviously there are um, you know general economies of scale. If you had one retailer, you know they'd benefit because they would have to spend less money on billing systems, etc. We have twenty retailers, so twenty billing systems. Whereas if you had one retailer, you'd have one billing system. That's one way costs have increased. The other way costs can increase is through something called CARC, which is customer acquisition and retention costs. And, and you put quite a high figure, I think, on that in your report. Yeah, we said it's about it's about hundred million dollars a year, a bit more than hundred million dollars a year that Victorians are spending on CARC. And you think about it. That's that's advertising. That's you know doing all your marketing for business. Well, if you if you don't have multiple retailers, there's no need for that. And nor does it add any benefit because we all have to use electricity anyway. It's not as if extra people are coming into the market and adding to that market. It's it's just yeah. extra cost. If, if I recall correctly, it was something like that works out about fifty dollars per per bill 
that we're, oh sorry per year per that year we're all per household for that acquisition. Yep. That's right. Well, David, the other th- thing that um, I was really confused about was why the network costs are less in Victoria compared to other states. That's a that's a good question. There are a number of reasons for that. Now, one of the reasons is, as I said previously, uh, if you look at what's gone on in New South Wales and Queensland, there's been a lot of spending on poles and wires in the last decade or so. And that kind of spend hasn't happened in Victoria. And some people will argue that that's because uh, Victoria's has a privatised business rather than the government-owned business, and the government-owned business have been inefficient and basically just building stuff for the sheer hell of it. Uh, Other could argue that it's just that's the way the cycle is run and that Victoria actually built a lot of its network needs uh, earlier and so doesn't need replacing at the moment, whereas up in those places it does. It might just be part of the cycle. So how can we improve? What what changes would you make to the retail market? Where else are they doing it better in the world? What can we learn? Well, the good news or bad news, depending on how you look at it, is everywhere struggling with this. So uh, over 20 states in the United States entered this pro- uh, program, and actually eight of them have since said, no, nah, we're not doing this anymore, and a cut back on it. In the UK, they have had multiple, multiple interventions by government to try and resolve it, and actually those interventions have just made people worse off. Um, what we recommend we do about it is actually to make this, well, one, we've actually argued that there should be an ACCC inquiry into the retail retail competition, just so we can actually get to the bottom of whether or not there's an issue here, and the government has taken that up, and that is now occurring. Uh, the other things is just make things simpler for people. So let's find a, a price, easy comparable price that people can easily look at and tell how much they're going to spend on their electricity and try and do something about this discount issue. Um, just quickly back on those smart meters, you mentioned the cost of that. Is that now coming to be a good thing? Well, I every Sunday morning get a letter from PowerShop and they tell me what my meter was at 12 o'clock last night. They haven't sent someone out to read that then because I've looked. And I assume that's just an automated process. So are those now reflecting in lower costs due to the smart meters in Victoria? Um, if if the public have taken up certain tariffs and take up certain apps, yes, it does reflect really well. So if you're, let's say, if you're with PowerShop and you can see what's going on with your uh, app and what's going on with your generation, actually, you can look at what's going on. You can save money by saying, all right, I'm using a lot of this time. I can turn it off. That's what Smart Meters does for you. Smart Meters also allows you to have different kinds of pricing. So if you have flexible pricing, you can end up saving money. The trouble is that these kind of things aren't that widespread and not many people are taking it up. And uh, there is an argument that the government should make more flexible pricing a mandatory and that would deliver, theoretically, uh, the benefits of smart meters further. But at the moment, that's not happening. Well, David, we've just run out of time. (laughs) Uh, Where can our listeners find out a little bit more about this? So... Your listeners should probably go to our website to check out the report, and the report covers these issues in more detail, so that would be www.gratton.edu.au, and I'll also plug the podcast that we've got there on this report as well, which would also give further information. Great. Thanks very much, David. Thank you. We've been talking to Dr. David Blowers from the Grattan Institute. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. 
If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, then you can go to bze.org.au and click on podcasts. If you enjoy the program and would like to donate, just go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and hope to catch you again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.